Welcome to Reading to Kids podcast. I'm your host, Jenna. And I'm your host, Peyton. And we're here to read to you or with you. We know that sometimes moms and dads don't always have the time or the motivation to read to their kids each night, and we know how important it is. So, on those nights that you're not in the mood, we're going to do it for you. Can't wait to read with you. Good job, Peyton. High five. Hello. Would you like to say hello? (laughs) Okay. A series of unfortunate... Go on. Events. Book the Fourth, The Miserable Mill by Lemony Snicket. Chapter Five. Peyton is doing as the the zip lock up her mouth sign with her hand. So let's see if she can actually be quiet the whole time. Doubtingly, I doubt this. This is not going to happen. You got a big mouth, kid. (laughs) Chapter Five. In the days that followed, the Baudelaire orphans had pits in their stomach. In Sonny's case, it was understandable because when Klaus had divided up the peach, she had gotten the part with the pit. Normally, of course, one does not eat the, the pit part of the peach, but Sonny was very hungry and liked to eat hard things. So the pit ended up in her stomach along with the parts of the fruit that you or I might find suitable. But the pit... In the Baudelaire stomachs was not much for a snack that the that Charles had given them, but from an overall feeling of doom, they were certain that Count Olaf was lurking nearby and a pre- some predator was waiting to pounce on the children while they said that they weren't looking. So each morning, when Foreman Fluck, oh God, Fluckatano changed his pots, a oh, clink clinked his pots together to wake everyone up the Baudelaire's took a good look at him to see if Count Olaf was had taken his place it would have been just like Count Olaf to put on a white wig put a white wig on his head and a surgical mask to cover his face and snatch up those Baudelaire's right out from their bunk but Foreman Fluckatano always had the same dark and beady eyes which didn't look a thing like Count Olaf's shiny ones and he always spoke in his rough, muffled voice, which was the opposite of the smooth, snarly voice of Count Olaf. When the children walked across the dirt flooded, the dirt floored courtyard on, to the lumber mill, they took a good look at their fellow employees. It would have been just like Count Olaf to get himself hired as an employee and snatch up those orphans while Florman Fluctuano wasn't looking. But although the workers looked tired and sad and hungry, none of them looked evil or greedy, or had such awful manners. And as the orphans performed the back-breaking labor of the lumber mill, the word back-breaking here, which which means so difficult and tiring that it felt like orphans' backs were breaking, even though they actually weren't. They wondered if Count Olaf would use one of those enormous machines to somehow get his hands on their fortune. But that didn't seem to be the case either. After a few days of tearing that, the bark off the trees with the debarker, they were put back in the corner and the giant pincher machine was turned off. Next, the workers had to pick up the barkless trees themselves one by one and hold them against the buzzing circular saw until it had sliced each tree into flat boards. 
The youngster's arms were so achy and covered with splinters from lifting the logs, but Count Olaf did not take advantage of their weakness of their weakened arms to kidnap them. After a few days of sawing, Foreman Fluctuano ordered Phil to start up the machine with the enormous ball of strings inside. The machine was wrapped the machine wrapped the string around small bundles of boards and the employees had to gather around and tie the string in very complicated knots to hold the bundles together. The siblings were soon sore, so sore that they could scarcely hold up a coupon that they were given at the end of the day, but Count Olaf did not try to force them to surrender their fortune. Day after day went by. Oh, day after dreary day went by, and although that the children were convinced that they must be that he must be somewhere nearby, Count Olaf simply did not show up. It was very puzzling. It is very puzzling, Violet said one day during the gun break. Count Olaf is simply nowhere to be found. I know, said Klaus, rubbing his his right thumb, which was the sorest. That building looks like a tattoo. It looks like his tattoo, and so does the book cover. But Count Olaf himself hasn't even shown his face. Elund, Sunny said thoughtfully. She probably meant something like, it is certainly perplexing. Violet snapped her fingers, frowning because it hurt. I've thought of something, she said. Klaus, you just said that he hasn't shown up. He hasn't shown his face. Maybe he's Sir in disguise. We can't tell what Sir really looks like because of that cloud of smoke. Count Olaf could be dressed in a green suit and taking up smoking just to fool us. I thought of, I thought of that too, Klaus said. But he's too much shorter than Count Olaf. And I don't know how you can disguise yourself as much as a shorter person. Chorn, Sonny pointed out, which meant something like, and his voice sounds nothing like Count Olaf's. That's true, Violet said, and gave Sonny a small piece of wood that was sitting on the floor because babies should not have gum. Sonny's older siblings gave her the small tree scraps during the lunch break. Wait, they shouldn't have gum, but he can have pieces of wood to eat? That, doesn't, that does not make any sense. Can you imagine? No. My gosh. Um, Sunny did not eat wood, of course, but she chewed on it and pretended it was a carrot or an apple or beef or a cheese enchilada, all of which she loved. Okay, good. I guess she's not eating the tree. Yes? Oh, Peyton just reminded me she's not talking. Okay. It might just be that Count Olaf hasn't found us, Klaus said. After all, Poultryville is in the middle of nowhere. It could take him years to track us down. Pelly, Sunny exclaimed, which meant something like, but that doesn't explain the eye-shaped building or the cover of the book. Those things could just be coincidences, Violet admitted. We're so scared of Count Olaf that maybe we're just thinking that we're seeing him everywhere. Maybe he won't show up. Maybe we're really safe here. That's the spirit, said Phil, who had been sitting near them all this time. Look on the bright side. Lucky Smells Lumber Mill might not be your favorite place. At least there's no sign of this Count Olaf guy you keep talking about. This might turn out to be the most fortunate part of your lives. Well, I admire your optimism, Klaus said, smiling at Phil. Me too, said Violet. Tenpa, said Sunny agreed. That's the spirit, Phil said again, and stood up and stretched his legs. The Baudelaire orphans nodded, but what looked, but looked at one another out of the corner of their eye. 
It was true that Count Olaf hadn't shown up, or at least that he hadn't shown up yet. But their situation was far from fortunate. They had to wake up to, to, clanging, to the clanging of pots and to be ordered around by Foreman Fluctuano. They only had gum, or in Sonny's case, imaginary enchiladas for lunch. And worst of all, working in the lumber mill was so exhausting that the kids didn't even have energy to do anything else, even though she was near complicated machines every day. Violet couldn't even, couldn't even think about inventing something for a very long time either. Even though Klaus was was. Even though Klaus was free to visit Charlie's library whenever he wanted, he hadn't even glanced at any of the three books. And even though there were plenty of hard things around to bite, Sunny hadn't, hadn't closed her mouth around more than a few of them. The children missed studying reptiles with Uncle Monty. They missed living over Lake Lacrimose with Aunt Josephine. And most of all, of course, they missed living with their parents, which was where, after all, they truly belonged. Well, Violet said after a pause, we'll only have to work here for a few years. Then I will be of age and we can use some of the, of the Baudelaire fortune. I'd love to build an inventing studio for myself, perhaps over Lake Lacrimose, where Aunt Josephine's house used to be, so we can always remember her. I'd like to build a library, Klaus said. That would be, that would be open to the public. And I've always hoped that we could buy back Uncle Monty's reptile collection and take care of all the reptiles. Dole, Sunny shrieked, which meant, and I could be a dentist. What in the world does dope mean? The orphans looked up and saw that Charles had come to the lumber mill. He was smiling at them and taking something out of his pocket. Hello, Charles, Violet said. It's nice to see you. What have you been up to? Ironing sir's shirts, Charles, Charles answered. He has a lot of shirts, and he's too busy to iron them himself. I've been meaning to come by, but the ironing took so long. I brought you some beef jerky. I was afraid to take more than a teeny bit because sir would know that it was missing. But here you go. Thank you very much, Klaus said politely. We'll share this with, with the other employees. Well, okay, Charles said. But last week, they got a coupon for 30% off all beef jerky, so they probably bought plenty of it. Well, maybe they did, Violet said, knowing fully that there was no way that any of the workers could afford to buy beef jerky. Charles, we've been meaning to ask you about one of the books in your library. Do you know the one with the eye on the cover? Where did you? Violet's question was interrupted by the sound of Flor Foreman Fluctuano's pots being banged together. Back to work, he shouted. Back to work. We have to finish the bundles today, and there is no time for chit-chat. I would just like to talk to these children for a few more moments, Foreman Fluctuano. Charles said, surely we can extend lunch just a little bit. Absolutely not, Foreman Fluctuano said, starting over to the orphans. I have my orders from Sir, and I intend to carry them out. Unless you'd like to tell Sir... Oh, no, Charles said quickly, banging, backing away from them, B backing away from Foreman Fluctuano. I don't think that's necessary. Good, the foreman said shortly. Now get these midgets up. Lunch is over. The children sighed and stood up. They had long been given up trying to convince the form Foreman Fluctuano that they weren't midgets, and they waved goodbye to Charles and walked slowly to by the waiting 
bundle of boards with Foreman Fluctuano walking behind them. And at that moment, one of the children had a trick played on him, which I hope has never been played on you. This trick involves sticking your foot out in front of the other person who's walking so that the person trips and falls on the ground. A policeman did not did it to me once. Oh, a policeman did it to me once, and I was carrying a crystal ball belonging to a gypsy fortune teller who never forgave me for tumbling to tumbling to the ground and shattering her ball into hundreds of pieces. It is a mean trick, and it is easy to do, and I am sorry to say that Foreman Fluctuano did it to Klaus right at this moment. Klaus fell right to the ground of the lumber mill, his glasses falling off and skittering over to the, over to the bundle of boards. Hey, Klaus said, you tripped me. One of the most annoying aspects of this sort of trick is that the person who does it usually pretends not to know what you're talking about. I don't know what you're talking about, Foreman Fluctuano said. Klaus was too annoyed to argue. He stood up and Violet walked over to, over to fetch his glasses. But when she leaned over to pick them up, she saw something was very wrong. Road up, Sunny shrieked as she spoke the truth. When Klaus's glasses had skittered across the room, they scraped against the floor and hit the boards rather hard. Violet picked up the glasses and it looked like a piece of the modern sculpture of a friend of mine made long time ago. The sculpture was called Twisted, Cracked, and Hopelessly Broken. My brother's glasses, Violet cried. They're twisted and cracked. They're hopelessly broken and he can scarcely see anything without them. Too bad for you, Foreman Fluctuano said, shrugging at Klaus. Oh, don't be ridiculous, Charles said. He needs a replacement pair, Foreman Fluctuano. A child could see that. Not me, Klaus said. I could scarcely see anything. Well, take my arm, Charles said. There is no way you can work in a lumber mill without being able to see what you're doing. I'll take you to the eye doctor right away. Oh, thank you, Violet said, relieved. Is there an eye doctor nearby, Klaus asked. Oh, yes, Charles replied. The closest one is Dr. Orwell, who wrote that book you were talking about. Dr. Orwell's office is just outside of the lumber mill. I'm sure that you noticed it on your way here. It may, it's made to look like a giant eye. Come on, Klaus. Oh, man, they're going to go. Oh, Peyton's already sleeping. Oh, you're not. Okay. Oh, no, Charles, Violet said. Don't take him there. Charles cupped his hands on his ears. What did you say? He shouted. Phil had flipped the switch on the start on the string machine and the ball of strings had begun to spin inside its cage, making a loud whirling sound as the employees got back to work. That building has the mark of Count Olaf, Klaus shouted, but Foreman Fluctuano had banged his, cloth, his pots together and Charles shook his head to indicate that he couldn't hear. Your yar, Sonny shrieked. But Charles just shrugged and led Klaus out of the mill. The two Baudelaire sisters looked at one another. The whirling sound continued and Foreman Fluctuano kept on clanging his pots. But that wasn't the loudest sound that the last two girls heard. Louder than the machine, louder than the pots, was the sound of their own furiously beating hearts as Charles took their brother away. Is that where he, is, is Count Olaf the doctor? Peyton, is Count Olaf the doctor? Mm-hmm. I think. Okay. All right. You're going to sleep. Okay. Night night. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Goodbye. Say goodbye. Bye.